You are listening to The Tish with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Michael Knopf, please visit MikeKnopf.com. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, it's good to see you. Um, so this is uh, session two of our Taboo Judaism series, uh, this one entitled The Rabbi Jesus and Kosher Christianity. So um, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to uh, talk a little bit about uh, why I wanted to do this class um, and then get into uh, um, uh, the class itself, uh, what, what sorts of things we're going to cover, um, and then hopefully have uh, some time for for questions and conversation. But you're free to interrupt me at any time. Oh, very nice. Yes. So the, 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 well, right. So the, uh, it's, the, uh, the, the phrase kosher Jesus, um, I don't know if he oh. made it up, but because uh, I don't remember if I uh, stole it from him or not, but uh, Shmuley Boteach, who's, uh, 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 according to him, America's rabbi, <laughs> uh, uh, wrote a book recently called uh, Kosher Jesus. Um, I actually uh, uh, didn't even read uh, his uh, his book, but anyway, we have it in the uh, Rudolfker Library. Um, so, um, so here's why I wanted to uh, to do this class. So, I grew up in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, which is, um, as they say, uh, part of the Bible Belt. Um, and so, I grew up, even though I went uh, um, from uh, kindergarten uh, through. Uh, eighth grade to Jewish day school, um, we grew up uh, around Christians and Christianity, especially when I was very young growing up uh, in, in uh, we lived in Stone Mountain, Georgia, which is a little bit of a, um, uh, a little bit outside of Atlanta. Um, and, uh, and, and all of my uh, friends from a very early age um, were, were very uh, devout uh, Christians. So in a lot of ways, I knew about Christianity before I knew about Judaism. Um, so I, I, I remember very vividly, I had a friend, uh, uh, um, Justin, um, and his mother would frequently tell my mother that she would pray for her soul. Uh, we had uh, another neighbor down the street uh, who, with twin girls, I think they were my age or my sister's age, uh, named Mercy and Faith. Uh, and uh, and then my other best friend in that in that neighborhood growing up was uh, um, very devout uh, a very devout Catholic family, um, and so uh, before really I had any kind of Jewish education. I mean, I knew I was Jewish because my parents, my grandparents, were Jewish, uh, but uh, but but I learned about Christianity through my close friends, and I learned about Judaism in a lot of ways through its opposition to Christianity. Right, so uh, so I would come back saying what my friends had said, and, my, and have my mother tell me, "Well, that's not what we believe as Jews." Right, um, uh, seeing Santa Claus in the mall, right? right? That that that's for them. That's not for us. Um, and uh, uh, so, so I grew up uh, simultaneously um, uh, around and fascinated by uh, by Christianity and its uh, ability to. Um, inspire a lot of passionate devotion, which is not something that I often saw in Judaism or the Jewish community. People were connected to Jewish community. People went to shul. People, but there wasn't a lot of passionate devotion. But there wasn't a, uh, there wasn't a Jewish missionary zeal out there. So I was uh, fascinated by Christianity because it seemed to inspire such uh, such passion in, in its in its followers, um, and uh, and and also that I grew up. Um, uh, 
with, uh, with, with Judaism being, until I was really in uh, Jewish day school and, and really learned Judaism from the inside, um, uh, Judaism was really often presented in opposition to Christianity. So all I really knew about Judaism was um, how, how we differed from non-Jews. Um, you know, uh, which, which I imagine is actually not a unique experience for a lot of Jews in, in this country that, uh, um, because we live in a, in, in a predominantly Christian country, uh, most Jews, uh, know more about, uh, about Christianity than they do about Judaism. And what they know about Judaism is how it's not Christianity. So there's that. And, and as I, uh, dug a little bit deeper into it, um, it, it turned out that there's actually, um, a lot, um, uh, more than the, obvious ones, right? More than like, you know, we have Hanukkah and they have Christmas, I think, um, that, uh, that, that we, that, that, um, is taught in, in relation to Judaism. Um, let's see if we can get more chairs around the table. Um, we have a few back here too. These ones have wheels. Um, so a lot of things that are taught in relation to Judaism, um, that, uh, that, are actually some ways uh, um, not entirely accurate portrayals of Judaism, but that we hold as kind of orthodoxies uh, in a lot of ways because it, it as a way of di- uh, distinguishing us from Christians. So one of those is, I'm sure some of you have heard from t- at some point in your life, that, that uh, Jews don't believe in hell. That's not, well, because the rabbis don't believe in hell. So that's actually not true either, right? Uh, it turns out that uh, the Talmud, I mean, the Bible itself, the, old, the what, what Christians would call the Old Testament, but what we would call the Tanakh, um, doesn't talk about any kind of afterlife, really, um, except for a place called Sheol, which is sort of more probably akin to like Hades in Greek mythology. Um, but uh, in later Jewish thought... Um, there are, it's replete with references to, uh, to, um, a Jewish concept of hell called Gehenna or Gehinom. Ge- um, uh, but in, uh, in a lot of ways, because of the Christian emphasis on, uh, on a moral afterlife, on heaven and hell, especially in Catholicism, um, uh, Judaism had, had kind of whitewashed those parts of, uh, of, of Jewishness or Jewish thought to, uh, I think, stand in opposition to Christianity. Another example, and we'll get into some of this later, is uh, the concept uh, Trinitarian thought, okay? And we're all, we all say, well, you know, Jews differ from Christians because Christians believe in a tripartite uh, Godhead, and Jews only believe in one God, right? It's right there in the most common Jewish prayer, Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad, uh, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. However, if you were to study Kabbalah, right, Jewish uh, mysticism, which has its roots um, in pretty old-time Judaism, uh, uh, first, in, uh, the, the Talmud uh, isn't uh, uh, technically Kabbalah, but Kabbalah has its roots in rabbinic thought. Um, there are seemingly references to uh, at least different manifestations or aspects of God that uh, really cast doubt or cast questions on the, the, the sort of uh, radical oneness that, uh, um, that, that we claim to believe in, right? So if there is... Shrina, which is God's imminent presence, um, well, that in some ways has to be distinct from a, uh, a, a perfect, indefinable, indescribable, uh, intangible God. Um, Kabbalah takes that concept and really explodes it so that uh, um, there is the God of the philosophers, which is Ainsof, which is a, which is 
the, the one uh, uh, perfect, uh, indefinable, uh, limitless God, but that God at least manifests as at least ten different manifestations of God in Kabbalah. Right, so this idea that um, that well, you know, they have th- a three-part God, but we only have one God is not exactly accurate an accurate portrayal of Judaism. Now, th- there are ways of, it, and and the reason I say that is because I have uh, Christian friends that I've that I've had extensive conversations with about this that have described uh, the Trinity in almost exactly the same terms that Kabbalah describes the uh, the the Sfirot, the ten manifestations of God. Right, and the the one I love is that water comes in three forms. Right, uh, um, you know, uh, liquid, solid, and gas. Right, so God can uh, manifest in different forms as well. Well, Judaism has that too, in a way. Right, that God manifests in different ways. So, um, so I, I, what I wanted to do with this class is try, if we could, to to do two things. One is to um, isolate, if we can, um, the uh, the, the Jesus of history, um, who I think is closer to the Jewish tradition than most of us give him credit for, um, and, uh, and, and to separate the Jesus of history, if we can, from uh, later Christian thought that um, in some ways uh, uh, paganized, mythologized the Jesus of history and made it into Christianity as we know it today, which does have a lot of uh, um, uh, major discrepancies with with Judaism. Um, But nevertheless, if we are able to identify um, uh, Jesus as a a Jewish rabbi, in much the same way that we look to the rabbis who were... um, who were... uh, um, uh, who lived concurrently with Jesus for uh, for their interpretation and approach to Torah? There may be things that we can learn as Jews from Jesus's ministry, um, without accepting the faith propositions of Jesus as the Messiah or uh, Jesus uh, as uh, as an, a, a manifestation of God, right? In any of the uh, theological dogmas of Christianity. And the other thing that I think we can do is. Um, Find um, uh, 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 ha- find ways of identifying with and have a deeper understanding of our Christian neighbors, um, which I think is a really important thing for Jews to do. I think that there's a, I mean, from their end and from ours, I think that there's a lot of misunderstanding out there, um, and I think it's not healthy for either of us. Now, one of the reasons, there are good reasons why Judaism has tried to stake itself as distinct from Christianity, one of which is in living in, in, in Christian cultures, um, you want to have a, a way of, uh, of, of uh, having Jewish uniqueness, and so you say you draw the dividing lines very clearly. Um, in our time, I think that actually may be counterproductive because uh, we are a society now of uh, mixers, blenders, benders, and switchers. Uh, people uh, find uh, wisdom and uh, and uh, um, religious thought in lots of different places. Um, so there's really nothing to stop people, if they wanted to, um, from finding wisdom in Christianity. So I would prefer to identify the ways in which um, there can be kosher aspects of uh, of the Christian tradition, Christian uh, uh um, uh, literature, etc. Um, the the other good reason is uh, that that uh, Judaism has uh, st- uh, staked its ground in uh, uh, in 
dis- distinction to uh, Christianity over the years is that uh, it, it was not uh, that long ago that um, that the primary persecutor of Jews in the world were Christians. Now we we uh, it's it's surprising to many people today, but there was a time in much of Jewish history when our main enemies were the Christians and our main supporters were the Muslims, right? Um, and uh, um, what's that? We were Denis, though. We were second-class citizens in the lands of Islam. Which is better than uh, than being true. victims of pogroms and, right, and, and inquisitions and things like yes. that. This is true. <laughs> um, so, um, so there's there's a lot of um, uh, of of appropriate mistrust of Christianity because of that history. Um, thankfully, it seems like some of that history, much of that history, and most of the world is behind us. Um, and most Jews today live in societies in America and in Israel, in which, in America, in which there is, for the most part, um, a, a state-instituted um, a religious coexistence, um, and uh, and and uh, and a separation of church and state that disables um, Christians from persecuting Jews. We we sort of have to uh, get along. Um, we don't have to agree, but we but. Uh, we, we coexist. And in Israel, um, uh, the Christian and Jewish populations, the small Christian population in, in Israel, um, uh, uh, lives in uh, uh, pretty uh, relatively uh, stable and peaceful terms uh, in, in Israel. Um, so there's a lot of coexistence uh, there, too, and the, the Christian communities there um, are very appreciative of, uh, of the religious um, tolerance of, uh, of of the state of Israel to the extent that it's possible in a Jewish state, um, there is a freedom of religion. I would say that for every religion except for Judaism, there's a freedom of religion in Israel. Um, so we'll leave that as okay. So all right. So let, let, let's let's dive in then. Okay. So the the first thing I want to say is that um, it's important to understand where. Uh, where Christianity comes from and uh, the historical context of Jesus. So just very quickly, um, uh, uh, all we really know about Jesus' life, I mean, we actually don't know if Jesus was a real historical figure uh, because the Gospels were all written decades after his death. The first writings about Jesus that we, uh, that at least are in the canonized uh, um, Christian Bible are uh, Paul's letters. Um, which were written in uh, the 60s and 70s of the Common Era, which is about 30 years, 40 years after Jesus' death. The Synoptic Gospels, uh, uh, Mark, Matthew, and Luke, um, were written later. So Mark, if I'm not mistaken, was written between 70 and 80. Uh, uh, Matthew and Luke were written about the same time around the year 90. Again, that's about... Uh, 60 years, 50, 60 years after um, Jesus was supposed to have been crucified. Um, the Gospel of John um, was written around 100-110, um, and so that's that's uh, even later after the death of Jesus. So uh, uh, none of the record that we have of Jesus' life and ministry um, was written while Jesus was alive. Um, we don't know for a fact if he's a historical figure, but it seems because of uh, um, the, the closeness of, uh, of some of the writings about him, uh, to him, and, and the, uh, um, the, the agreement about some aspects of, uh, of, of his life, it seems plausible that he was a, a, a real human being, a real historical figure, uh, probably a uh, Jewish preacher in the north of Israel, um, uh, maybe trained in the, uh, um, in the rabbinic uh, class, in the rabbinic school, um, 
of, uh, of, of Jewish thought, um, who probably either claimed himself or was believed by his followers to be the Messiah. Okay, so um, that's that's really what we know. And and, and uh, according to some authors, there there are really you know there were two facts that we know about uh, Jesus. We know that he was uh, a uh, Jewish preacher, and we know that he was crucified by Rome. Right. Um, so in order to sort of understand the context of where Jesus comes from, we have to sort of understand what was happening in, uh, in, uh, in the land of Israel at, uh, at the time. So, um, at the, uh, um, at the turn of the millennium around the year, uh, zero, um, uh, Ju- Judea was a province of, uh, Rome, had been a province of Rome for about a century in, and a half. Um, uh, after the decline of the Maccabean uh, dynasty. Um, and uh, um, Rome was, uh, um, um, uh, had originally had um, Judea under the rule of a, um, depending on who you ask, a Jewish ruler uh, named Herod, um, who was um, a pretty uh, strong-armed uh, uh, kind of ruler, uh, but uh, but is remembered in history as Herod the Great because he did a lot to build up the infrastructure and uh, um, prestige uh, within the empire of uh, of Judea. But after Herod dies, and Herod was, uh, um, I, th- I think of him sort of like Saddam Hussein in Iraq, um, because Saddam Hussein, for all I mean, this is not an, at all a justification of Saddam Hussein, but. Iraq, as we as we saw after the American invasion, was comprised of a lot of uh, factions and groups that really didn't like each other much at all. And say what you want about Saddam Hussein, he relatively kept the peace in Iraq. Um, now he brutally kept the peace in Iraq, but he kept the peace in Iraq. Uh, and after he's deposed, you start seeing uh, all of the quarrels between the different groups emerging to the surface. Right? That that's the insurrection. Um, uh, uh, that's not the word that we use. What's the word that we use? Uh, the um, um, the insurgency uh, in, in Iraq. Um, right. So the same thing, more or less, happened after the death of Herod in, um, uh, in Judea. There were lots of uh, uh, different factions, probably that had existed in one way, shape, or form since the Maccabean uh, revolt, because there were Jews who agreed or disagreed to varying degrees with the, uh, with, with the Maccabean revolt. That's the story of Hanukkah. Um, and uh, they, they didn't really much like each other. Often they fought with each other. Uh, part of the decline of the Maccabean dynasty is a story of that infighting. Um, and when Herod takes over as ruler, he's able to more or less keep the peace among the Jews. But when Herod dies, all of that uh, um, antipathy comes to the surface among the Jewish people. And so there's a lot of uh, differences of opinion about what the authentic Judaism is, what the authentic approach to Judaism is. Um, and uh, um, uh, even more than there is opposition to Rome itself. So what Rome tries to do um, in response to this growing unrest uh, among the uh, among the Jewish people um, is uh, install uh, Roman procurators, Roman governors um, uh, who are directly answerable to uh, the Roman emperor um, to to govern Judea. Each of these governors, procurators, was uh, uh, either incompetent. Uh, or uh, or brutal or both, um, uh, so that uh, so that over the course of a couple of uh, a couple of cycles of this, um, there's this um, pattern that emerges. So what happens is there's growing unrest in Judea. 
Rome sends a uh, brutal and incompetent procurator. And uh, people respond negatively to that uh, procurator, so there's more uh, unrest uh, between Jews and be and between Jews and Rome now, and uh, even though there was kind of a, uh, before that too, but now you're growing unrest against Rome, and Rome, sensing this unrest, sends an even more brutal uh, ruler to, uh, to to come and govern the people, and uh, um, a a which creates more um, uh, hatred and animosity against Rome itself. Right, so that's the cycle that perpetuates, and among that. Um, uh, the, the, the different factions that existed among the Jews sort of crystallize in their approach uh, to, to Rome, right? Their, 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 their big philosophical debate is how do we relate to this um, really uh, um, uh, oppressive regime or seeming sometimes repressive regime that is uh, controlling all of our affairs. Some of the Jews were perfectly fine with Rome because they benefited from Roman rule. Um, predominantly, that group was uh, uh, the Sadducees, um, who were the aristocracy, um, who were uh, very entrenched in the in, in temple worship because uh, Rome uh, enabled temple worship to kind of continue um, as as it uh, 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 had previously. Um, so they were uh, relatively uh, quiet in relationship to Rome, um, but then there were various groups that uh, that had. Um, different feelings. So the, the main opposition group to the Sadducees was a group called the Pharisees. Um, the Pharisees are the, uh, the uh, antecedents of who we will later call the rabbis. Um, the rabbis being the title that were given to most of the leaders of the Pharisees over the course of time, which rabbi means teacher. Um, and uh, the Pharisees had a different approach to uh, understanding the Torah than the Sadducees. The Sadducees had a more uh, literal understanding of the Torah. The Pharisees believed that there wasn't only the written Torah, but also an oral tradition uh, that, uh, that uh, um, explained passages in the Torah that were difficult to understand, but also uh, uh, instituted uh, uh, ideas and thoughts that are really, um, you'd have to be very creative, to, and they were very creative, to read them out of the Torah. <laughs> One of which, not, uh, um, uh, uh, not so ancillary to our conversation, is um, is the idea of the resurrection of the dead, Tchiyata Metim. So um, Tchiyata Metim, resurrection of the dead, is nowhere literally in the, in the Torah. But if you read the Talmud, the rabbis uh, uh, jump through hoops to prove how you can derive the resurrection of the dead from the Torah. And it was a principle of faith of the Pharisees that, uh, that even though the written Torah doesn't seem to allude to a resurrection of the dead, that, that, that such a thing exists. Um, and the Pharisees were kind of ambivalent about Rome. Um, uh, to the extent that Rome uh, uh, let uh, Judaism practice the way it had always practiced, they were uh, they were fine with it. But they also believed that uh, that Roman rule would at some point end, um, and uh, um, and uh, and a Messiah would uh, would come and uh, um, assume uh, restore Jewish sovereignty over the land of Israel, maybe for all time. Right. Um, the Pharisees, however, were more or less um, were not particularly proactive in their in their messianism for the most part. In other words, they believed that someday the Messiah would come and restore Jewish sovereignty, um, but they didn't uniformly believe that uh, that that they could identify a Messiah in their time. Um, and if you read uh, um, 
There's a there's a, a few pages in the book in the tractate of Sanhedrin in the Talmud that uh, that deal a lot with messianic thought. You can kind of see where the Pharisees are with this, um, and uh, the the notion of how to identify when the Messiah comes is uh, is pretty opaque. Um, so much so that it probably means that uh, that they weren't totally preoccupied with it, right? Um, that uh, that they that they were hopeful in the advent of uh, of a Messiah. By the way, that's not really a supernatural event according to the Pharisees. That's a political event, right, that a scion of David would ascend the throne, but they just uh, weren't sure that it was going to happen in their time, and they didn't really believe that it was their job to make it happen, for the most part. Okay, there was another group, uh, um, uh, sorry, uh, another Jewish group uh, that uh, uh, was, um, uh, may have had overlaps among the Pharisees, right, in other words, some Pharisees may have belonged to this group, and it may also have uh, had followers that were not Pharisees. Is a group called uh, the Zealots, um, and uh, the Zealots were um, uh, believed in a lot of the same things that the Pharisees did, but had a more uh, militant uh, Jewish nationalism and a militant point of view about uh, um, about the advent of the of the Messianic era. So they believed um, that uh, the the Messiah uh, not only would come, but uh, they had a responsibility to make him come. Um, or to uh, or to supplant Roman rule when they saw an opportunity to restore um, uh, Jewish sovereignty. Um, so the zealots um, uh, are um, referred to uh, by uh, uh, Josephus, who's really um, one of the core Jewish historians of that uh, that time, really where we know a lot of uh, of. of uh, um, I understand that there's controversy about Josephus, but Josephus refers really to to, to four philosophies um, among Jews at the time: Sadduceeism, uh, Pharisaism, um, and one more that we'll get to in a second. Uh, the Zealots are what he calls the fourth philosophy, um, which is a sort of a, a militant opposition to Rome. Um, the militant opposition to Rome um, uh, bubbles up. A lot during the Roman period, and uh, and during the time of Jesus, um, especially was uh, um, uh, 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 prevalent. Um, we know uh, a couple of decades, uh, ha- about half a century after Jesus dies. Excuse me, about thirty years after Jesus dies, a couple of decades after Jesus dies, um, is the destruction of the Second Temple. Um, which is uh, something that happened in a lot of ways predominantly because of, uh, of uh, instigation by the zealots. Um, the, um, uh, they were responsible for a lot of the uh, um, unrest um, and violence that was happening in Judea, um, which, again, triggers this cycle from Rome to, um, to sort of brutally put down uh, um, insurrections, um, which incites the insurgents, right? And uh, so, uh, uh, which bubbles into a, a revolt, a, a whole-scale revolt against Rome in, uh, in 66, um, uh, which is ultimately put down um, in, uh, put down in uh, 70 CE when the temple is destroyed, and then a few years uh, later, um, the last holdouts from this group of zealots commits a mass suicide on Masada. Um, uh, under threat of being destroyed by Roman forces. The the other philosophy that uh, uh, that Josephus talks about is uh, what what he calls the the Essenes, and um, the Essenes were probably uh, 
if you've heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls, um, the Essenes were probably, scholars still think, uh, responsible for those scrolls. Uh, they uh, were um, sort of ascetics, hermits, um, that lived in the uh, um, uh, in and around the Dead Sea in the desert, that uh, their response to Rome was to leave society, right? Um, to, to sort of divorce themselves from what was happening in the world, focus on what was going to happen in the coming world. All right, so these are the ideas that are swirling around in the Jewish people and the different approaches to Judaism that, that exist among the Jewish people. We don't exactly know where Jesus fits into each of these categories. In some ways, he's certainly not a Sadducee, um, but in some ways he actually has uh, dimensions of his ministry as they're recorded in the, in the Gospels that could uh, put him in any one of those categories. Right, so John the Baptist, who uh, uh, the Gospel of Mark begins with uh, John the Baptist's um, uh, baptism of Jesus in the in the Jordan River, um, uh, seems to many scholars like he probably could have been an Essene, right? Somebody wandering around the wilderness, uh, saying that the kingdom of God is at hand. Okay, you know uh, that he, he wasn't uh, he wasn't leading rebellions, um, and he wasn't uh, you know preaching in the academies, right? Like the Pharisees were. Um, so he could have been an Essene. So therefore, Jesus, um, if Jesus was a disciple of John the Baptist, then Jesus might have been an Essene too. Um, it seems to me that Jesus is probably either in the Pharisaic or the Zealot camp. Um, uh, there's a, a recent book that came out that I think is a great book, even though it's. Uh, somewhat controversial. There's a book called Zealot by Reza Aslan um, that uh, that makes the claim that Jesus was in the Zealot camp, pretty firmly in the Zealot camp. Um, and I can see why he makes that argument. Right? So, um, so uh, we'll get to that in a second. All right? Any questions so far? Sure, yeah. Any questions so far? Okay, can you give us the years? Hmm. The temple was destroyed in 70. Um, Jesus is presumed to have been born, let's say, around the year zero, um, and uh, and is crucified around the year 30, 33, something like that. Okay. Does, it, does it matter? That it's 33 of the, or the common era, yeah, right, which is about three decades before the destruction of the temple. Does it matter there were probably multiple individuals going around preaching and so forth there? And since we we're not a hundred percent sure that, about uh, about Jesus, about exactly uh, 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 you know precisely uh, when he lived and you know the uh, when he was born and plenty of the details, it, it, uh, it's reasonable to assume there were other other people going around. At, at preaching, there, there, there. Absolutely. First of all, there were lots of people going around preaching. Um, uh, part of uh, the trademark of the Pharisees was that, uh, in addition to having uh, more established academies in places like Jerusalem, um, uh, where they they had schools and were part of the Sanhedrin, which was uh, the the high. Um, court at the Jewish court at the time, um, uh, had, you know, synagogues throughout, uh, the land of Israel and, uh, and, you know, preached, uh, and, uh, taught, uh, the matter. So looking throughout rabbinic literature, the, the Talmud and the Midrash, um, you can see that as a trademark of the, uh, of, of, of the Pharisaic school. Um, and, uh, and, uh, as Aslan, I think, correctly points out in his book, um, if Jesus uh, was claiming to be the Messiah, or his followers were claiming that he was the Messiah, 
um, he would not have been the only uh, um, claimant to uh, to be the Jewish Messiah that existed at the time. There were um, a number of uh, of people who um, uh, who were were teachers, charismatic leaders um, that uh, either believed themselves or whose followers believed were the Messiah, um, and many of those people were executed by Rome in the same way that Jesus was executed by Rome. And in fact, um, when Jesus is executed, the Gospels um, uh, d- uh, define the term uh, listai, which is uh, also, you find, see that term in the Talmud as well, listim, um, as, uh, as bandits uh, or thieves who are crucified alongside of Jesus. But the term listai um, uh, was a technical term, uh, among, the Greek word listai was a technical term among Rome, which meant uh, um, uh, people guilty of sedition. Right? A bandit was somebody who uh, uh, was in, uh, inciting revolt against Rome. Um, and so, according to Aslan, he's probably right about this, that the other people crucified on Golgotha with Jesus were, uh, uh, were also uh, uh claiming that they were messiahs or leading uh, 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 revolutionary activities against Rome. Um, and uh, um, anyway, so, um, so it's certainly true that, uh, th- that in order to place Jesus historically, we need to know that, that these activities were happening. Um, and so Jesus may have just been one of many people who were doing these kind of things. I, I just finished reading this out. I haven't read the notes, which seem to further document the text of the book. Yeah. Um, if you believe what's in, in the book, doesn't it there then debunk everything from Luke and, and, and Mark and everybody else? Um, because what he said, what, what is said in the book is that, um, that they all just, um, if you will, have took editorial license uh, uh, as far as if there was a person, Jesus, uh, including James, um, doesn't it, by the end of the book, it, it seems to me it totally demolished the veracity of Christianity. <laughs> um, well, veracity is a tough thing. I mean, if, you, if, uh, if, if, if the Gospels were understood to be uh, factual histories of, uh, of, of Jesus, which some Christians see them as, um, then, uh, then, then he definitely does damage to that. Um, he's not convinced, and I think he's right about that. As, a, as, as someone who understands the Jewish tradition, uh, people, I, I don't think that, those, that the Gospels were written to be, um, nor do they really claim to be, uh, uh, nor would they have been understood as, at least by Jewish audiences, um, to be factual accounts of, uh, of, of Jesus's life, um, people weren't really interested in, in that. Uh, people had a different concept of, uh, of, of, uh, story and history. These are, these are, um, um, uh, arguments for the movement, right? Um, which, uh, um, Maybe they took liberties, maybe they didn't. You know, like, I, I don't know if Luke is making up the fact that, that Jesus was resurrected, right? It could be that Luke heard that on authority, that Jesus was resurrected, and so wrote it down, not because he was being uh, deceitful, but because that's what that's what he knew, and there was no way to, to sort of dig back and figure out if it was true or not. Uh, and certainly, uh, very, very close to Jesus' death, um, there were followers of his who uh, who claimed that he was resurrected. So he, so uh, so Luke's uh, view or Matthew's view of the resurrection say um, is not um, 
It's not technically, uh, well, it may, be, it may be false, although it's hard to prove whether or not it's false, um, but I don't think it's a lie. Right and uh, and and so it seems reasonable as a Christian if I if 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 I if I uh, uh, cared about Christianity if that was something important to me um, that uh, that that uh, that I don't necessarily question um, the the historical veracity of the resurrection. The the challenge of Christianity as opposed to say Judaism is that uh, that in a lot of ways Christianity does rest on on that uh, the acceptance of that uh, truth claim about Jesus's. Um, uh, uh, death and resurrection. Um, so if you're that kind of Christian, um, Aslan makes that problematic. Um, but I don't think that that's the kind of Christian one has to be. Um, but that's my, you know, for all you Christians out there, for what it's worth. <laughs> um, um, yes. No, but I didn't understand. I guess I just don't know. If the temple was destroyed in 70 BCE, Seventy C E C E. Temple was destroyed with C E. Yes, seventy C E of the commonant, right? I knew it was after because he was in the temple. Right, right. So the temple was destroyed forty years after his death. Correct. And then Bar Kokhba. Right, Bar- right. So Bar Kokhba is a really good example because Bar Kokhba is uh, around 130 C E, about you know sixty years after 135, um, about sixty. Uh, years or so after the destruction of the temple, and there's another example of a uh, uh, of a, uh, um, a, a a Jew, uh, probably who uh, um, uh, was schooled in the Pharisaic school of uh, Jewish thought, um, who either believed himself or whose followers believed that he was the Messiah. Rabbi Akiva certainly believed that he was the Messiah, who led a revolt against Rome. Right. Um, so Bar Kokhba is a really good example, and uh, um, now we we. The, Bar Kokhba didn't didn't inspire a religion to come after him uh, because there was no um, uh, um, well he had no followers that believed in the idea of a, of a resurrection and a second coming. Jesus apparently did, um, and so that helps explain what happened with Jesus and what didn't happen with Bar Kokhba. But the idea that you would have a, a Jew um, uh, who was considered to be the Messiah leading a revolt against Rome. Um, is really, you see, not antithetical to Judaism itself, right? Uh, some of our greatest rabbis thought Bar Kokhba uh, was in that same vein. All right. So, um, all right, just to kind of fly through a few things really quickly. Just, uh, I don't think that there's probably any um, uh, doubt. If Jesus was a historical fig- figure, um, Jesus was a Jew, right? So in the Gospels we have, you know, Luke uh, chapter 2, verse 21, uh, Jesus' uh, circumcision, uh, Jesus' observance of the holidays, uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 42, when Jesus is 12 years old, they went to Jerusalem, his family uh, took a pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the festivals, even John talks about Jesus observing the Jewish holidays, John 10, uh, 23. Um, more interesting, I think, are the references that seem to place Jesus as a rabbi. So you look at Matthew, uh, and again, I'm sorry I don't have uh, these uh, texts photocopied for you, but if you just really quickly, Matthew 4, 23. Um, uh, um, uh, so, uh, see, that's not 4. Uh, here we go. Uh, so 4, 23, Jesus went throughout the Galilee, teaching in synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. By the way, we'll talk, if we get to it, about the claims of miracle working among Jesus, but the short answer to that is, if you read through the Talmud, you see plenty of references uh, to uh, rabbis who were believed to have uh, miraculous healing powers and things like that. It was something that 
um, uh, people commonly ascribed to uh, charismatic preachers of their time. Uh, and uh, we still see today in Christian and other communities, uh, people believe that uh, their their holy leaders um, have these kind of miraculous powers, even in Judaism. Right? So it's not uh, totally... Uh, it, Christians might use that as a proof of Jesus's uh, divinity, but in many ways it was just sort of common practice to say that about your rabbi. Maybe it was true. Maybe he did have uh, healing powers. Maybe Choni uh, um, Ma'agal uh, in the Talmud actually could draw a circle and make the rain come. Right. Right. So there are lots of there are lots of. Well, how about the prophets? The, the, right. So the, 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 that's the, the other. The, right. The, the guy who, who laid on top. That's of the that's Elisha. Um, so right. the right. So <laughs> the other the other uh, um, attempt of the um, authors of the of the Gospels um, is to link Jesus to the prophets of the Old Testament, um, especially Elijah and Elisha, who were. Um, unique among the prophets. Prophets were mainly uh, um, just conveyors of messages from God. Elijah and Elisha in the book of Kings um, uh, did more than that. They, they actually performed miracles and did miraculous sorts of things. Um, so Jesus is linked to those characters as well in, in, in the Gospels. But anyway, what I wanted to focus on is um, Jesus goes throughout the Galilee teaching in synagogues, etc. And, um, you know, Usually, we don't invite somebody to speak at Har Zion unless we um, think that they are qualified to, uh, to to preach from the bima. Right? I have no reason to believe that the synagogues in ancient time were were any different. In fact, they're 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 very similar. You can see um, uh, ancient, ruins of ancient synagogues where uh, um, there are like name plaques on the benches and things like that um, uh, was to suggest that they weren't uh, that uh, different from our synagogues as well. Right? So that Jesus would have been invited to the synagogues in the Galilee to go to preach. Um, uh, uh, presumes that he had a reputation for being a qualified teacher of uh, Jewish thought. Right? He wasn't outside the tradition. He was very firmly within it. He was a scholar in residence. He was a scholar in residence, exactly. Uh, <laughs> Matthew 13, uh, 54. Um, uh, so... Um, uh, um, he came to his hometown, Jesus comes to his hometown of Nazareth, and began to teach the people in their synagogue, right? So he goes back home, the hometown, homecoming for Jesus, and he gets invited to the synagogue, right? Uh, they're clearly not embarrassed of him, right? They clearly uh, uh, think that he is qualified to come and teach in their synagogue. Uh, um, uh, let's see, Luke 4.16. Let's go, where's Luke? Here we go, Luke 4.16. Um... Uh, he he comes to Nazareth where he had been brought up. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, meaning he was laning Torah, right? Um, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. Ah, he chanted the Hav Torah. Maybe it was his bar mitzvah. Um, he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. And of course, he happens upon a passage that uh, um, that that uh, uh, alludes to the coming of the Messiah, um, right? So so he's uh, um, you know we don't usually uh, invite. Um, apostates and uh, um, and uh, insurrectionists to come and preach in the synagogue and to read from the Torah, right? So Jesus was viewed at, in his time, it seems like from the Gospels, as a uh, as a as a qualified Jewish teacher, um, maybe even a rabbi. How did the Christians jump from what you quoted that Jesus observed the Sabbath, which was on Saturday? jump to Sunday as a Sabbath. 
Ah, okay. So that that's a that's a, uh, a a different kind of question. I mean, an additional piece of it is um, how did they uh, jump from uh, a strict observance of the Sabbath, which it would have appear that Jesus w- probably would have observed, to a uh, um, a, a less um, uh, legally formulated observance of the Sabbath. Which day is the Sabbath day is um, open for interpretation among, in, in the Bible, right? Which day is the seventh day? I don't know. It depends on when you start. Right. right. It depends on when you start counting. Um, yeah. Well, how did they stop circumcising? <laughs> right, right, right. So there's a whole uh, bunch of things. In, in part, uh, in part, and, uh, uh, Aslan does this, uh, says this. I think he's probably right that Paul um, was focused on bringing uh, the the, uh, the the message of Jesus to the Gentiles, and but in doing that, um, uh, stripped a lot of the uniquely Jewish character from uh, Jesus himself and from Jesus's message. Right, so that. Um, so, so that uh, faith in 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 uh, in the um, in the divinity of Jesus and the resurrection um, becomes the test of whether or not you are a good Christian, not whether you live and practice Judaism the way Jesus did, because that would have been a hard sell to the Gentiles. Is, is there any indication that? That Jesus did. There, there are there are uh, debates about it. Clearly, the um, uh, um, uh, some of the early church fathers um, who were responsible for uh, canonizing the Gospels were um, uh, what's the word I want to use? Um, uh, skeptical of um, of earthly behavior and earthly pleasures. Um, and so if Jesus had a, uh, a wife or children, um, those don't get put in the gospel because it might call into question um, Jesus's divinity, right, and, and all that sort of thing. Um, there are theories that, that, that he did, and if, and if Jesus was um, a good practicing Jew as he's uh, assumed to be, uh, or it seems like he was, then it's not unthinkable that he would have. Um, but it, it's hard to know because it would be totally speculative, um, almost totally speculative. All right now, insofar as Jesus was a, um, a, a a teacher of Torah, it's possible then to see the um, the teachings that are recorded uh, and attributed to him in the Gospels not as radical breaks from quote unquote Judaism, but as Jesus's contributions as a, uh, a teacher of the tradition to an unfolding uh, interpretive uh, approach to the tradition, which the rabbis also had. Um, uh, so, uh, so just to start out with uh, with uh, with a, a look at uh, Jesus's uh, uh, traditional Jewish values. Um, well, actually, we'll get to the Beatitudes in a second, but look at Matthew uh, twenty-three, uh, uh, verse one. Uh, so Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. Therefore, do whatever they teach you and follow it. Right? In other words, live by the Torah. Right? Uh, live by the Torah according to the, to the rabbi's understanding of the Torah. Right? The oral law is valid. Uh, he, say, he goes on to say, do not do as they do, for they do not practice what they teach. Right? Because his, uh, his opinion about a lot of the rabbis and teachers of his time, uh, according to the Gospels, was that they were hypocrites. Okay? Which may or may not have been true. 
Uh, and, uh, and if you see, um, uh, in terms of the um, relation of the different uh, streams and sects of Judaism to Rome, um, if Jesus' primary concern was uh, with, a, with a Judaism that, uh, that, that stood in opposition to Roman rule, and there were rabbis that uh, taught Judaism and lived Jewish lives but didn't radically oppose Roman rule, then you can see why he would have been upset with them. Right? He also, it seems, was preoccupied with a ministry that uh, dealt with the marginalized and outcast of society, and his approach to Torah um, was, uh, was, was, a, was a, uh, a Torah that cared about and was concerned with, uh, with, with the poor and the diseased and, uh, um, and, and the outcast. Uh, and his sense of the rabbis was that they were not totally preoccupied with, uh, with, with that. Um, so Jesus calls them hypocrites for that. Um, it could very well be that they were. Or it could be that it was just a difference of opinion about what the message of Judaism was, right? Was Judaism, we have this today, right? Of, uh, we were just talking before me and Lita about, um, uh, um, grow and behold, which is a, uh, uh, a, a, uh, a kosher meat company that sells, um, organic, uh, uh, grass-fed, ethically treated, ethically slaughtered kosher beef. Now, you have uh, rabbis that say that kosher doesn't have to do with any of those things. Kosher right. is just about the ritual slaughter of the animal. Right. And then you have rabbis that say kosher has a more expansive definition and it has to include ethical treatment of animals. Who's right? Well, it depends on your approach to the tradition. Uh, neither is technically right. I know which one I prefer um, for various reasons, but neither is technically right or wrong. They're both valid approaches to the tradition. So, so Jesus' approach to the tradition may have been uh, uh, um, uh, as valid as the rabbi's approach to the tradition. Okay, so let's look. So there, there are many examples that you could give of, uh, of Jesus reinforcing his view that uh, to be a follower of Jesus at his time in his life um, was to live a an observant Jewish life, right? Um, uh, um, some of the places that historically in Christianity have been viewed as Jesus's departure with Judaism, I think, um, come from a, uh, a, a first of all a misread of what Jesus was saying and a misread of uh, of Judaism. Right. Um, this is the helpfulness of the historical approach to, to the development of Judaism, is that there wasn't, uh, quote-unquote, Judaism at the time of Jesus, and Jesus was breaking from it. There was, and continues to be, an evolving uh, understanding of what, um, of, of what Judaism is and, and ought to be. Um, so the rabbi, the Talmud, you can't read the Talmud in the Midrash without getting the sense that the rabbis themselves had, had, had pretty fundamental disagreements about what the Torah taught. Um, they coexisted with each other, but, uh, but they had pretty, uh, substantial disagreements about what the Torah said. So, so Jesus is in, much in that tradition. So in the, uh, in the Beatitudes, um, he, uh, says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Well, is that a, is that a, uh, is that a, uh, a, a discrepancy with Judaism? Is he saying something radically different from Judaism? No. In a way, he's interpreting uh, Psalm uh, 11822 that says, that the stone that was cast aside by the builders will become the cornerstone of, uh, of, uh, of, of God's home. Matthew 5 9, blessed are the peacemakers. Well, um, we could say that Judaism is a more realistic tradition because war, peace, etc., whatever. Okay, maybe, but then you have this statement in, in Pirkei Avot that says, be among the disciples of Aaron, lovers of peace and pursuers of peace, right? Um, so blessed are the peacemakers. That's a pretty rabbinic uh, teaching. Uh, 
Matthew 5, 11, 12, Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way that they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Right? Mishnah Avot, uh, again, uh, chapter 5, the reward is proportionate to the suffering. Right? In other words, um, that uh, 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 the, 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 the suffering of the righteous in, in, in our time is going to be rewarded by God in a future time. That's not a particularly un-Jewish thing to say, even though if we uh, read it on its surface and see it in opposition to a, um, a, a Orthodox Jew, I say Orthodox with a small o, um, uh, Jewish orthodoxies that didn't really ever exist, it could appear that way, but it's not really. Um, Matthew 5.44, But I say unto you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Okay, um, the idea of loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you is not antithetical to Judaism either. Uh, I read the Talmud Brachot uh, 10a, where Rebbe Meir um, has a group of uh, actually maybe least I bandits or r- ruffians of some sort that are in uh, his neighborhood that uh, that that uh, make fun of him and, and taunt him and persecute him, and so he prays for them to die. And his wife Bruria says to him, "You shouldn't do that. Rather, pray for them to repent." Right. Um, and so that's what Rabbi Mayer does, and uh, taking the advice of his, the wise advice of his wife, um, and uh, they repent, and uh, they everybody lives happily ever after. Right. So the idea of praying for your enemies, right, which is often held up as you know, here's the major difference between Judaism and Christianity. Christianity says you know love your enemies and turn the other cheek, and Judaism has a much more realistic view of the world than that. In a way, yeah, maybe right. How how Judaism developed because we. Uh, um, uh, we don't say you have to love your enemies. It does say in the Torah a few times that you need to help even your enemies when they are suffering or under burden. You love them, I don't know. right? But okay, so Jesus goes a step further. He says, love your enemies. Does that make him anti-Jewish? I don't know. It's just his interpretation of Torah. Even the Lord's Prayer, which is often out of a, the, the quintessential, this is the Christian prayer, uh, I'm not so sure, right? Um, yeah. Personal prayer. You read the the prayer itself. Go through um, the, the prayer. Let's see. We can look at it really quickly. Uh, Matthew six. Okay, so here's the prayer in in this edition of uh, of the Gospels. Um, uh, uh, so his uh, the the uh, audience on the uh, at the Sermon on the Mount. Um, at, uh, someone from the crowd, he's taking a Q&A, right? <laughs> Let's open up to a little Q&A. So says, how do you pray? And he says, um, our Father who art in he- our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, we know that language, our Father who is in heaven, avinu shabashamayim, right? We say it uh, every Shabbat morning. We follow it up with Sur Yisrael v'go'alo, the rock of Israel and the Redeemer of Israel, right? The, the the Savior of Israel would be the the maybe the more Christian translation of Goalo, but still, right? Um, but our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Well, Yitkadal the Yitkadash Shemei Rabbah, right? That is how how great and hallowed is your name. Um, and we we go on, right? Uh, um, um, uh, uh, um, in, in the Kaddish talking about uh, the advent of God's kingdom. We say it in the Alenu, the advent of God's kingdom, right? That's not a particularly un-Jewish thing to talk about. Um, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we say. Ose shalom mimramav, hu yase shalom alenu ve'al kol Yisrael, right? God who makes peace in the heavens will make peace among us and among all the people of Israel and let us say amen, right? This would have been a very popular prayer in Jesus' time. That's why it's in Aramaic. Um, uh, give us this day our daily bread, 
Right? Okay, well, we say that uh, three times a day in the Ashrei. Uh, you open your hands and sustain uh, all that lives. Uh, forgive us our debts as we have, uh, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Um, okay, so we have that too in, in, uh, in, in Judaism. In the bedtime Shema, we say, uh, uh, give me the strength to forgive those who have uh, wronged us. Um, and we pray to God for forgiving us all the time, right? Salach lanu avinu ki Forgive us, our Father, for we have sinned, is the literal translation of that, right? Um, uh, uh, do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one, right? Okay, so uh, we say that before we go to bed tonight, right? Rescue us from all uh, uh, calamities that occur. So you see, that even in sort of the quintessential Christian prayer, there's very strongly Jewish themes in it, and the whole idea of rabbis writing their own prayers themselves that might on its surface seem like, oh, this is a really not Jewish thing to do. Um, look at, uh, uh, what's the citation I want to give you? Look at Talmud Brachot 16b, where it lists out um, the personal uh, prayers composed by a lot of the most famous rabbis, uh, many of which are very strongly parallel to the, what, the Lord's Prayer. Um, so what you see is that uh, is that a lot of Jesus's ministry um, is uh, um, is is uh, um, Jesus really acting like a rabbi of his time, which is offering uh, in a lot of ways agreements with other rabbis' interpretations of Torah, but then offering his own unique approach to uh, to Torah. It's what rabbis still do, right? My interpretation of what happens to Nadav and Avihu in last week's Torah portion, which I talked about on Friday night, is different from Rabbi Charlstein's who. Uh, uh, who gave me his notes on my uh, Devar Torah? Uh, after. Fine, okay, that's great. That's what's supposed to happen, right? Uh, so, uh, um, uh, and and I say all this not necessarily to endorse any one or the other of Jesus's teachings, although I think some of them are perfectly valid approaches to uh, to to, uh, to to Torah. Right. Uh, so, do I? I resonate with uh, with uh, with a reading of Torah that uh, that that uh, uh, pushes us to love even our enemies. That really resonates with me. It may not resonate with you, but that resonates with me. Uh, an approach to Torah that says, "Blessed are the peacemakers." Right. Okay. So, I mean, the, the um, uh, uh, Hillel says that in the Mishnah. He agrees that that's a, a, a valid approach to Torah. I think there's a lot that we can. The idea, and this is one of the reasons that I that I um, thought that this was a worthwhile class, is that one of the things that I think is really powerful to me about especially Protestant Christianity is the willingness to uh, deviate from the established scripts and liturgies of prayer and come up with your own personal um, uh, um, uh, impassioned prayer, um, which we don't, I think, do enough of in Judaism, um, but is really important, and I think is important even within our, our tradition as well. I remember... Um, when I was in rabbinical school, I did uh, my rotations in chaplaincy with uh, with a Protestant minister, and the first day that we went together, um, we went to the um, like you know there's like a little meditation room in the hospital, and uh, and uh, and he offered a personal prayer about uh, an ecumenical one about uh, about the work that we were about to do for God's guidance and the work that we were, right it was totally moving. Because I'd never really, as a Jew, I wouldn't have really thought about doing that. But there's not a bracha for it, so why do it, right? But no, but there's something really powerful about spontaneous prayer. And we have that in the Jewish tradition. Jesus was teaching from within that tradition. And, um, and, and I think that that's something that's worth our considering and reclaiming in Judaism. Now, Jesus 
just in, uh, we're, we're a little bit past time, but Jesus was critical of the Jewish leaders of, this, of his time. He accused them of hypocrisy and things like that. They may very well have been hypocrites, as he says. He uses very sharp language to describe their hypocrisies. You can see that in uh, Matthew 23 especially. But the biblical prophets did the same thing, right? On Yom Kippur is the most famous one, Yom Kippur morning, um, uh, Isaiah says, you know, all you people who pretend to be pious, who fast on Yom Kippur, <laughs> right? You, you can fast all you want, but God doesn't really care about that as much as God cares about your ethical behavior, right? So that's more or less what Jesus says to the religious leaders of his time, right? You can, you can focus all you want on how kosher the cup is, right? Uh, but, uh, but, but unless what comes out of your mouth um, is, uh, is, uh, is, is ethical, then it doesn't really matter how kosher the cup is or how kosher the food you, is you eat. Right? That's not totally an un-Jewish approach to Judaism. We have that within our tradition. The rabbis themselves did it. Uh, Rabbi Gamliel used to say, uh, no disciple whose inner self does not live up to his acceptable exterior self may enter the house of study. Right? So you, have, you can't be a hypocrite, according to um, uh, many of the rabbis. Um, uh, and the idea that we should be concerned with inner piety over exterior expressions of piety is also not uh, particularly antithetical to Judaism. We have in the Talmud, Rahmana Liba Ba'e, God ultimately desires the heart, right? Um, it doesn't matter whether you uh, give a lot or give a little, so long as your heart is directed to heaven, the Talmud teaches. Um, right? We have a whole passage in Talmud, Tractate Makot, that uh, says uh, uh, how uh, the, we have 613 commandments in the Torah, but each prophet uh, reduce them to to six, and then five, and then four, and then three, then two, then one. All right, the the one that's three, I love the most because it's Micah, and he says, uh, "I have told you, O mortal, what is good and what God requires of you. Only this: to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with God." Okay, so that basically says that uh, that uh, listen, you know, keeping kosher, it's important, not as important as uh, being uh, doing justice and kind. Right, and then we have uh, the uh, um, I forget which of uh, the prophets it is that uh, that has who reduced it to one, but it's Darshuni v'chai, right? Seek me and live, right? Okay, right. Uh, doesn't say anything about uh, you know lulav and etrog in that, right? Um, it's it's talking about inner piety versus external expression. That doesn't mean that the prophets were saying that those things are unimportant, uh, but they, but it is I think in line with what Jesus was saying. It, uh, Jesus was trying to convey, it seems, from the Gospels, that, uh, that your inner spiritual life, um, your moral character, is at least as important, if not more, than um, how uh, punctilious you are about, uh, about Jewish observance. Right? But Jesus' primary criticism was of Rome. And that, I think, is what he was uh, crucified for. And that explains, I think, all of the Messiah talk in, uh, in, in, um, uh, in, in the Gospels. The Messiah, if you remember from the beginning of our conversation was really a, a political designation, a political figure. It was someone who was supposed to restore Jewish sovereignty um, and to wrest control of, uh, of, of uh, Judea from Rome. After the death of Jesus, um, uh, those followers who weren't prepared to give up on, uh, on Jesus' ministry um, had a real problem with Jesus as a Messiah, um, which is that there's nowhere really in the Jewish tradition that talks about a resurrection. There's plenty of places the rabbis said uh, talks about uh, sort of a national resurrection, uh, a, a whole-scale resurrection of people at the advent of the Messiah, uh, but not necessarily a single resurrection of a messianic figure who would then come back and, and be the Messiah. So they had to um, uh, uh, essentially generate, they didn't 
do that totally divorced from Jewish tradition. They're, they're, they, they Clearly, you can see throughout the Bible, they tried to reference that back to the Jewish tradition. Uh, but in preaching to the Gentiles, it didn't really matter as much about whether or not it referenced back to the Jewish tradition. And ultimately, that's the approach to Judaism, uh, to Christianity that, uh, that, that took hold and, and won out. Um, but again, you know, you can see how it's not really all that antithetical to Judaism because there are people who uh, uh, very strongly consider themselves Orthodox Jews today who believe that their uh, uh, powerfully charismatic uh, teacher who died uh, in the 1980s uh, is, uh, is the Messiah and is going to come back, right? Um, so it's not all that un-Jewish. Um, it's a little bit un-Jewish. I'm not crazy about the fact that, uh, uh, that, that Chabad does it. Um, but it's not all that un-Jewish um, uh, uh, in the sense that there are other Jews that think it. I think that it's un-Jewish in the sense that it's not a particularly normative Jewish view. Right? So uh, the Jewish tradition, as it evolved, rejected that idea of, uh, of, the, of individual resurrection and the second coming of the Messiah. Um, and that's one of the reasons that uh, we have a, a sharp division between us and Christianity. But I think it's fair to have that as a sharp division between us and Christianity and to say that we, agree with, we can agree with some of what Jesus taught and not other things that Jesus taught, and we can agree with uh, some of the... Uh, views of Jesus' ministry and who Jesus was that the later Christian authors have, but not all of them, um, and uh, not lose out our Jewishness by doing so. That is not to say, and this goes back to what we were saying before about, um, about people who say that they are uh, Messianic Jews. Okay, So I just want to be clear about this. Um, Christian, I, I, I'm not saying that Christianity is Judaism. Okay, Christianity evolved into a very distinct religion from Judaism with its own unique practices and its own unique theologies and its own unique version. I'm not saying that Judaism is Christianity or Christianity is Judaism. I'm saying that, uh, in a way, they both have their roots in the same tradition and they both branched off in different directions. Okay, um, So that's one thing I'm saying. Uh, the second thing I'm saying is uh, that um, uh, what, what, uh, Messianic Judaism, that term, I'm not crazy about that term for a couple reasons. The first is I consider myself a Messianic Jew in that I believe that Judaism uh, holds uh, that the Messiah will one day come, uh, that we will uh, enter a Messianic era in which, uh, as Isaiah puts it, the, the wolf will lie down with the lamb, right, and, and all of that good stuff. Right? We'll enter an age of a perfected world, um, and the Messiah is symbolic of that, will herald that, uh, whatever your opinion. So I'm a Messianic Jew because I think that that's a critical viewpoint in Judaism. Does that make you a zealot? <laughs> it doesn't make me zealot because I'm not really prepared to, you know, uh, topple the government in order to implement it, but I'm willing to work within the system to, to get it done. Um, uh, but the, the term Messianic Judaism, as it's used today, um, is, I think, um, Christianity with good marketing, right? And so what they're trying to say is that, um, is that uh, you can be a Jew and simultaneously believe in the divinity of uh, Jesus and, uh, and, and the truth claim that Jesus was the Messiah. That, I think, is antithetical to Judaism. Um, that, I think, is disingenuous on the part of the people who claim to be Messianic Jews. Uh, and the reason that it's uh, disingenuous is if you go to somebody who's a self-claimed Messianic Jew, and you say to them, would you rather your child marry somebody who's a practicing Jew who doesn't believe in Jesus, or somebody who believes in Jesus but is not a practicing Jew, what do you think their answer would be? 
the second, right? Which is as clear an indication as any that what they're really concerned with is Christianity, but uh, but making it palatable to Jews who might convert to Christianity, and that I think is um, is, is is wrong and disingenuous. Why I think that that uh, we we should take a very strong stance in the Jewish community um, by you know allowing Messianic Jews who continually try to uh, uh, um, uh, insert themselves within the fold of the Jewish community. I think it's fair of us to say that that is beyond the pale, um, and what I'm not endorsing at, in any way, shape, or form in this session. What I am saying is that um, there, there are things that we can learn from, uh, from the Jesus, both of history and of the Gospels. Um, there, uh, there are things that I think are very positive about Jesus' uh, 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 messages and interpretations of, of Torah, and there are very uh, positive aspects of Christianity that I think we can learn from and appropriate in Jewish ways. Right? Prayer is the example I gave, but I think that there are others. Um, uh, personal piety is another that uh, sometimes gets lost, especially among um, liberal streams of, of Judaism, um, that I think that we can uh, learn from, uh, from, from Christianity. That doesn't mean we need to be Christian. That doesn't mean we should be Christian. I want to state for the record that I don't think we should be. <laughs> but it does mean that there are uh, ways that Christians approach their tradition that are inspiring. And I think that we can be comfortably inspired by and uh, try to uh, uh, make Jewish to the extent that we can make those things Jewish. Okay, so I'm out of time. I'm happy to stay and take any questions and comments that people want, uh, but I also don't want anybody to feel like they need to uh, stay longer than they uh, have to. So thank you all for being here. We have our next session of uh, Taboo Judaism next month, although the date uh, escapes me is April 27th, if I'm not mistaken, and that will be a discussion of... um, of uh, radical Jewish theology, um, how to uh, how to pray to the God that we actually believe in, but we think we're told we're not supposed to believe in. Okay, so uh, so we'll talk about that then. April twenty seventh. Hope to see you there.